Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. Halloween morning here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Everyone's getting ready to watch the Bills, watch the Sabres, and then go trick-or-treating. Ah, I might be a little too old to go trick-or-treating. I'm not sure. We'll, uh, we'll see how I feel tonight. It is the second hour of Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. We are getting close to Election Day. You heard from the town of Amherst supervisor and his opponent in the first hour. If you missed that, it is available on demand at WBEN.com. Joining us this segment is Professor Jacob Neiheisel. He will be a part of our election night coverage here on WBEN. Professor, good morning. Morning. I, I greatly appreciate the John Carpenter introduction there. Yes. Well, hey, you know, you got to get in the, uh, in the holiday spirit. Tomorrow I'll be playing Christmas music. Excellent. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, before all this, are, are you dressing up for Halloween? Uh, we're debating that right now. So my daughter wants to go as the color pink. I'm not entirely sure how that's accomplished, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll be very interested to see the uh, to see how that works out. So you will be walking around though for uh, for trick or treating, right? Uh, maybe. Ah, no. <laughs> Yeah, the, the weather is not promising, but yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go, at least for a bit. All right, sounds good. You know, uh, my favorite candy, I, I, I learned on Friday I'm, I'm very boring because I have the same fra- favorite Halloween candy as most people. I mean, I always was happy when you saw that Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Um, that seems to be like on everyone's top five. Uh, we may have made a mistake. We got Snickers for Halloween. Hey, you know. Uh, my apologies if you stop by my house. All right. Well, I, uh, <laughs> I'll i still be stopping by. Now, I've, uh, we, we've got a local election, and I was so surprised. Yesterday, um, had some had some family over for the big Virginia Tech game, and um, I talked to numerous people who, who told me that, you know, I don't think I'm going to vote. There's really nothing outside the, the city election. You know, you, you would think by now, I know the mayoral race is getting more attention than I think it's ever gotten for the city of Buffalo. But that's got to be the minority of people that don't know there are other big elections on Tuesday, correct? I would hope so. Uh, but that being said, you know, there, there's a way in which uh, the, the media environment dominates our, our way of thinking. And if all you're seeing are, are India Walton and Byron Brown ads, it's probably pretty easy to think that that's the only thing going on. You know, on Wednesday, the the, uh, the debate, which I will be asking uh, Mayor Byron Brown about, by the way, he is our guest at 1130. Um, were you surprised to see uh, Ben Carlisle also on that stage? And do you think that took away or added anything to Wednesday's debate? I was a little surprised to, to see a name that, frankly, I hadn't really seen prior to the debate uh, as a co-equal on the stage. And uh, whether it added or detracted, I think, depends on uh, whether you're an India Walton supporter or a Byron Brown supporter. At times, it very much seemed like a, a two-against-one battle up there. And, um, 
you know, if you were in India Walton's camp, you might have wondered if it was coordinated uh, ahead of time, I, su- I suspect. And, and looking to Tuesday, and, you know, for me, I, I know this happened in Alaska, but for me, this is the first time that I will be focused in on an election that, you know, it, it's it's one person on the ballot. I mean, there's one name on the ballot and then the write-in option. Uh, do you think that, you know, it's getting all the media attention, as you as you mentioned, but do you think when when you look at that ballot and just see the one name, that's going to throw people off, even though they go in knowing that Byron Brown's running as a write-in opponent? Oh, absolutely. Uh, anything you're asking voters to do that's out of the norm or, or that's different, uh, is going to have some potential for them to, to mess it up. And it's not necessarily the voters' fault. It's just not a normal thing we're asking people to do. We're not used to, to leveling our preferences in that kind of way, and, and any additional step is just one more hurdle. Uh, and so, you know, even on election night, if Byron Brown is up as the polls are suggesting that he will be, it'll be interesting to see how much of the vote he bleeds in terms of invalidated write-ins, um, you know, people stamping or writing things in the wrong column, you know, not bubbling if they should be. So, you know, even a substantial lead has the potential of being whittled away, at least partially. So there is no way, I might be wrong here, but there is no way that on Tuesday night we can declare Byron Brown the winner, right, because of what you just mentioned. Well, I mean, I will be more comfortable the higher his number is, right, and by his number, I mean write-in. So there are obviously more than one write-in candidate. Uh, people will be writing in Mickey Mouse as well, uh, not a valid candidate, as you might suspect. Uh, so, yeah, if that number is, is clearly in sort of the 53 54% range for write-in, um, I think we have a decent indication of what is likely to transpire. But, no, there's, there's going to be no certainty on election night, I don't, I don't think. And, you know, another thing I heard on Wednesday, and, again, you know, Hey, I, I talk politics every Sunday, 10 to 12, and still when it comes to local elections, it's one of those things that, A, always come by surprise, and B, I don't feel like I'm always uh, the most prepared for. But I heard Ben Carlisle say something, and I've heard other people say this, and it's this thought that, yes, the city is, is better shaped than when Byron Brown took over. However, he's been in office a long time. Are, are you going to have people on Tuesday that will admit that Mayor Brown's done a good job in the city of Buffalo comparatively to where it was when he took over, but it's that he's been there for 16 years, and that's what they're voting against more than anything. That's a distinct possibility. You know, every election you win, it becomes harder to win the next one, paradoxically. Um, maybe that's not necessarily true for, for a member of Congress who gets a little bit of the help with the, the line if they get some kind of sweetheart uh, apportionment deal, but uh, there is such a thing as voter fatigue. It's documented. We mostly see it at the presidential level. It's just really, really hard to get that third term, meaning it's really hard for one party to, to keep the presidency for three connected terms. And I, I have to think that that's true for executives writ large. Yeah, there are voters who will go and vote uh, on the basis of it's time for some new blood. Now, you know, you know everything political. You know the history of politics. I mean, you're, you're, you're an encyclopedia of political information. And, you know, I look at the the registered numbers of voters in Erie County. And, you know, obviously the Republican Party not putting a member, uh, not putting someone up to run for mayor, uh, they were hoping to take some county elections. I've got I've to think that what happened in the primaries, the Democrat primaries, um, really ruined um, what the Republicans plan. I mean, their plan was to take, you know, 
everything in the county because you would have city voters not necessarily going to the poll because there was no mayoral election. I look at this now. I mean, you look at the you look at the registration numbers and you look at you have two Democrats running against each other in the city of Buffalo. Tuesday could be a tough day for Republicans, right? Yes, it does not bode well that there's going to be fairly strong turnout in the city uh, for those Republicans running in a, in a countywide race. Um, yes, there will be voters in the city who show up and, and undervote. Right. They only care about the mayoral. They don't care about anything else. But for the most part, if you're already in the booth, you might as well pull the lever or rather bubble the circle for your party across the board. And, you know, Republicans are are able to win uh, in some countywide races when you get low Democratic turnout. Um, And, you know, they they have other issues this year as well. So it's not just turnout in the city. It's that they basically have a, a coordination problem in the sheriff's office. They have three kind of sort of Republicans who seem, you know, poised to split the vote. Uh, and so you can quite easily see a Democratic candidate winning with the plurality of the vote. And also on the ballot, uh, Professor, you, you flip it over th- this time, which is something we're not too used to. But there's five questions. Now, what is the likelihood? Or not, not the likelihood. Sorry. What is the percentage of people that will actually turn their ballot over and vote in, on those five questions? Well, that's a great question. I, the short answer is I don't know. Um, certainly there will be um, a fair degree of, of ballot roll off. Um, and the wording of those ballot initiatives uh, similarly is working against it. Uh, issue one, it, it takes a lawyer to, to understand, I'm fairly confident, and, and maybe not even then. So it's, uh, you're going to have informational hurdles in addition to the fact that they're stuck on the back of the ballot. And that first question is one that we've seen get a lot of attention here um, with commercials. And we've also talked about it for three shows in a row here on Hardline. And that's about the redistricting. As we know, there will be a a massive redistricting after this year's election before the congressional. Um, And that, again, as we're talking about things that don't bode well for Republicans, uh, that's also not going to bode well for Republicans here in New York State. No. So if that passes, um, you know, the extent to which the Republicans have a table, uh, a seat at the table at all when it comes to the reapportionment process uh, is effectively going to, to be cut out. So it, it, one of the things it does, among others, is it would basically push more of the responsibility onto the state legislature. And while it is, of course, true in principle that Republicans could at some point retake the state Senate, it seems very unlikely that it's going to happen in the near future. So the more that the legislature is involved um, and the less the redistricting commission is involved, obviously the, the less Republicans are going to be happy about the lines that they're drawn. Now, I've got to ask you this. I'm asking for, you know, a guess here, um, and I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll hit it very close. But, you know, what is the average turnout for a local election and how much higher than that do you think we will see in the city of Buffalo this year? Um, so average um, it varies, right? Are we talking about a presidential race? Are we talking about midterm? Are we talking about these off, off year elections? So, you know, it's not unusual to see, you know, 20 ish percentage points, uh, percent turnout. Um, I've, I've heard on the basis of, you know, guesstimates surrounding early vote that that number could be substantially higher in the city itself. You know, maybe something approximating, uh, certainly a midterm and possibly even a presidential race. So, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of variability, and we're in some unknown territory here with kind of a, an exciting race in the city that we haven't seen in perhaps a decade or more. 
I'll tell you, this is, you know, regardless of what happens Tuesday, this will be an election that will be talked outside of Buffalo, you would think, for a while, right? I mean, the, the write-in campaign, the candidate that describes themselves as a Democrat socialist, I mean, this, what, whatever happens on Tuesday is going, to, is going to continue that national attention that this election has been getting. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten calls from Huffington Post, CNN, you know, you name it. Uh, and that the last time that happened was when Chris Collins was in trouble in, in a neighboring district. So, yeah, it's it's bringing a level of national attention to Western New York that we rarely see. Um, and I think it's going to continue to drive a narrative about basically progressive politics in the Democratic Party. You know, what is the future of uh, the left in the Democratic Party? And depending on who wins, it's going to shape that national narrative. Speaking of that national narrative, it, it seems like all the attention on Tuesday outside of Erie County is on the state of Virginia. You've got Terry McAuliffe, who you know had to take a term off, is running again, and I'm forgetting the other guy's name. I know it's Yunkin. I forgot the, his first name. Um, and, and you're seeing the polls going into that race go from a 10-point swing one way to an 8-point swing the other way. Uh, but this is getting a lot of outside money, a lot of outside attention. Uh, will this also be, as you mentioned, for the Buffalo election, is this also something that is going to shape the narrative or for the Democrat or Republican Party? Or is this going to give us kind of a glimpse into what the midterms could look like? It could be a bit of both. Uh, it's certainly going to shape the narrative. Um, you know, After 2020, the conversation was surrounding how Virginia was now a blue state, um, you know, driven largely by D.C. suburbs. And that, you know, Republicans were finally at a disadvantage in the the seat of the old Confederacy. And so I I think that it's going to drive discussions about, you know, can Republicans win in a place like that that is increasingly better educated surrounding the D.C. suburbs, you know, increasingly more urban. Uh, And so it'll drive those conversations and could be a preview of of what happens in in the, the midterms. You know, if Democrats can't win in a place like Virginia, where that is becoming increasingly blue in terms of party identification, that does not bode well for lots of places across the country with you know a lot of the macro factors driving against them. So I think that that's going to be one that's going to be, for better or worse, a test case for, for a lot of the politics going forward. And that's Glenn Youngkin. I, I, I... I knew it was Glenn Youngkin, and I just did not trust my gut. I had to look it up. Makes you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn Youngkin against Terry McAuliffe. And in Virginia, you can't run for back-to-back terms. Uh, so he had to take a term off and now running again. And that will be very interesting to see. You know, Professor, you talk about how over the last decade, Virginia really has become that solid blue state. It's, it's like the opposite of what we're seeing in Ohio become that uh, solid red state. Um, do you think you'll see, I mean, we could in Virginia see on Tuesday, but do you see Ohio, uh, shifting at all, or is that going to get more and more red, uh, as we go on? Yeah, that's a great question. It it depends on population patterns. You know, you've had a bit of a drain from a lot of the cities in Ohio that are traditionally democratic strongholds with the exception of Columbus. And then you've just seen, you know, places that are, that are more rural, previously more labor-oriented, just become redder and redder. So, you know, when I was a kid, I lived in a Democratic stronghold uh, in in Ohio, Ohio native, and it is completely red uh, to the point where Democrats barely contest it anymore. So that's, in my lifetime, a shift from solidly blue to solidly red, with no real signs of going back, given that labor is not really a thing in that part of the state. 
You know, it, it really it, it amazes me that we see such these high turnouts. I know it's a lot because of the media coverage, but these high turnouts in the you know presidential elections and the midterm elections. But as we see, less and less states are becoming important when it comes to the presidential election, right? I mean, you've got maybe four or five swing states every year round, but that's where you get the turnout. And in the local elections where you might have more of a say, you have such a low turnout. Uh, for me, right. that surprises me. I don't know about you. Oh, it, it, it does and it doesn't. I mean, you're, you're absolutely hit on the head. You know, they get the lion's share of the coverage, so they're going to take a lot of the oxygen out of the room. But if people are thinking rationally about this, the vast majority of the policies that affect them in their day-to-day lives are state and local ones. Uh, and yet we, we pay less attention to those kinds of contests. So, and again, of course, we're talking about sort of the calculus of turnouts. You're more likely to be pivotal in a low salient, low turnout election. And so it makes more sense to vote locally than it does on a national stage. But at the same time, the focus is on what's going on in national politics. Well, Professor, are you ready for a Tuesday night? You ready for an interesting off-year local election uh, here on WBEN? I'm excited as always. I'll, I'll try to bring some data to bear if I can. So if, if I can find some time and, and work up some files for myself, I'll, I'll hope to, to have some context on election night. Well, I look forward to uh, listening to you. Uh, Carl Calabrese, David Bellavia, Tom Puckett uh, will be doing the analysis. And then you'll have uh, four of us in the field, including me. So uh, excited to, uh, to follow that and hear your analysis as those numbers come in, Professor. Yeah, we look forward to, to hearing you uh, not be able to find where you're going for various watches. <laughs> <laughs> you know me too well. It's not just you. It's anybody. I couldn't find those things. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Jacob Nyheisel, as always, thank you, and uh, hopefully some, uh, some good candy. Do, do you take a parent tax after um, trick-or-treating today? Oh, absolutely. you got to protect the young kids' teeth, you know? So, yeah, it's, it's all about uh, altruism. Well, good, good, good luck. Enjoy. And thank you so much for joining me this morning. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Joe. That is Professor Jacob Nyheisel. Again, he will be part of our election night coverage here Tuesday night on WBEN. Coming up next, it is Mayor Byron Brown. Again, I have to remind you, India Walton was invited. She declined our invite. Mayor Byron Brown is next here on Hardline. Welcome back. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. To Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. 
Our next guest is Mayor Byron Brown. Before we bring the mayor on, we should note that his opponent, India Walton, was also invited to join us, and she declined. Mayor Brown, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you this Sunday morning. Mayor Brown, we on Wednesday um, listened in on the debate that was at St. Joe's. What did you think of what we learned or what the campaigns presented uh, at Wednesday's debate? I was pleased to participate in the 34-year debate tradition at St. Joe's. I thought the students did a great job. They researched their questions. And I think what we learned is that a lot of the things that my opponent, Ms. Walton, has been saying in the campaign are clearly not true. I think it came out again that it's clear that she plans to defund our police, uh, that she wants to cut significant amounts of money from the police budget uh, that would not only um, make it hard for our police officers to do their work, uh, but would decimate public safety in the, in the city of Buffalo. We learned that Ms. Walton was not a successful not-for-profit executive, as she's been selling to our community. She actually was a failure as a not-for-profit executive. She had a plan to build 50 houses in an area of our city, and she did not build a single house during her, during her time as executive director of that organization and has been trying to take credit for two houses that were actually built by Habitat for Humanity. You also, uh, during the debate, uh, referred to her as an apologist for criminals. What did you mean by that? Well, she spent uh, the better part of last year uh, running around the city with a bullhorn to her mouth, uh, screaming uh, that she wanted the police defunded, demanding that the police department be defunded, uh, saying that police officers don't make us safe. Uh, she was seen going to a prison going away party uh, for someone. Uh, she doesn't seem to believe in holding people that commit acts of crime in our community accountable. Um, all of us as adults need to be accountable for doing the right thing, uh, but in Miss Walton's brand of socialism, it seems like there is always an excuse for criminal behavior. Now, I want to get back to that socialism topic in just a minute, but first I do want to ask, uh, you know, we have a few days left here of the campaign until Election Day. Uh, how has that been this time around, and what is the message for the Write Down Byron Brown campaign? Uh, the campaign has been extremely in, intense. I am uh, working virtually 24-7, have been doing so for the uh, last uh, few weeks. We have hundreds of volunteers uh, out on the streets in the city, uh, in every section of the city of Buffalo. People are knocking on doors. They're making phone calls. Uh, they're asking people to come out and write down Byron Brown, reminding them uh, that my name will not be on the ballot, uh, that they have to go to the right bottom corner of the ballot in the box that says 
write in and fill in the oval and write in or stamp in my name. Uh, the response from uh, city residents, people who are eligible to vote in the city has been absolutely incredible. Uh, we've identified thousands of city residents who have indicated that they want to write down Byron Brown. We've also ordered tens of thousands of stamps uh, to provide for people who might have some uh, difficulty uh, writing, who might have challenges writing in a small space, and that is making it a lot easier for people to cast a write-in vote for me in this election. What do you say about those in the Democrat Party, people you've worked very closely with, who now are supporting, as you said, uh, India Walton, who, who you know, says she's a socialist. I mean, she's, she calls herself a Democrat socialist. Are you surprised by the support she's getting from people I would say aren't Democrat socialists? I knew that uh, when the primary was lost and I made the decision at the urging of thousands of people in the community to continue running for mayor, uh, that there would be institutional Democrats uh, that would no longer support my candidacy because I did not win the primary. I think that is unfortunate, but that will not stop us from being victorious in the November 2nd general election. Uh, Ms. Walton is not really a Democrat. Uh, she has called herself a socialist in publications all across the country. I call her a radical socialist uh, because of her activity uh, organizing protests, making it more difficult uh, to have police do their, their jobs, um, screaming about defunding police through a bullhorn, uh, her actions to say that police don't make us safe. Uh, so she is not a Democrat. Uh, but even more importantly, for listeners to, uh, to be aware uh, that this far left um, movement in our country uh, is dangerous, not just for the Democratic Party, uh, but people of all um, uh, backgrounds uh, extremes um, are, are dangerous. So the extreme left and the extreme right is dangerous. You know, I've been called a moderate. I've been called a centrist. I've been called um, someone that tries to work uh, with all people, regardless of their background, and bring people together. That's what we really need. Those are the kinds of uh, government elected leaders that we need that will bring people together and get people to work together in the best interest of our communities and our country. Well, Mayor, you took my uh, next question uh, right, right there away from me, so we'll go to the next one. Uh, you know, there's no question, and this is my opinion, but there's no question that the city of Buffalo is in a lot better shape now than when you took over. But you still have people out there that will admit to that and then say, but he's been in office too long. What would you say to those individuals who might be undecided, who might think you have been in office too long, but also recognize that Buffalo's in better shape than it was on your first day in office? Well, I've continued to run for this position because we've made consistent progress in the city of Buffalo. 
We've cut the tax rate to the lowest level in 30 years. Uh, we have the highest municipal credit rating uh, in over 30 years. Property values in every section of the city have gone up. Uh, we've hired the most diverse workforce in the history of the city of Buffalo. More people of color, more women, more new Americans, more women in management positions. Uh, we've seen over $8 billion of development and thousands of new jobs created in the city of Buffalo. The city of Buffalo has become an engine of opportunity for residents across the city and across the region. And the city of Buffalo is proving itself to be a place where people of all backgrounds want to be now. We had the first population increase in 70 years in this most recent census in the city of Buffalo. So we have made tremendous progress and that's why I've continued to run for mayor to keep the progress going. And that's why um, many weeks I work seven days a week uh, to move our community forward and to create a brighter future for everyone living in our city and our region. And when I am um, doing something where I need to call on a professional, I don't want people without experience. If I'm uh, taking a, a trip with my family, I don't want to fly in a plane with a pilot that has no experience. If somebody that I know and love and care about needs to get an operation, I don't want the operation performed uh, by someone with no experience. In fact, the Buffalo News uh, this past weekend in endorsing my candidacy called Miss Walton dangerously inexperienced, meaning that her getting into this office would be a danger to the members of this community, that she is so experienced and so unqualified, she could only reverse the progress that we're seeing in this community, uh, and it would hurt the future of all of us. Mayor Brown, over the summer, um, we talked a lot about the speed zone cameras, the school zone uh, speed cameras, and eventually those went away. Uh, if reelected, would this be something you would put your focus back on? Uh, no, not at all, because there, there, were, um, there were certainly uh, concerns. Uh, more people in the city seemed to support them than, than didn't. But the percentage of people that didn't support uh, was so high that there was just not consensus. We know, unfortunately, um, people are still speeding past our schools. They're still speeding uh, in neighborhoods across the city of Buffalo. Uh, and that is concerning. But I have no plans of reinstalling uh, school, school speed zone cameras. We have done other things. We are... Um, uh, painting crosswalks in our intersections. Uh, we've installed um, speed radar signs so that uh, motorists can see that they are exceeding speed limits uh, in different areas of the city. Uh, we've installed speed humps uh, in neighborhoods across the city uh, to slow people down. So we have adopted other measures to try to get people to comply with the speed limit 
in the city of Buffalo. Uh, we also, um, you know, have worked with uh, block clubs, neighborhood associations, uh, business associations uh, in in the city uh, to address their concerns about motorist speeding. Also brought up this summer and, and now again over the last few weeks, and you did address this on Wednesday, but I'd like to ask you again, you know, the Buffalo Common Council talking about uh, bringing those talks of a Buffalo Stadium into the city. If reelected, is this something you would look at, and what would be the logistics of putting a stadium downtown? Well, obviously, as a city resident, as mayor of the city of Buffalo, I would love to see a stadium in downtown Buffalo. Uh, there will be six significant uh, investment by um, the residents of the city, uh, the county, and the, the state. It is estimated that a new stadium uh, near to the current stadium in Orchard Park would cost $1.4 billion. To put a stadium in the city of Buffalo the estimates are the cost would be an additional billion dollars with the price tag going up to $2.4 billion. And so we have to look at what our residents want. We have to look at is there a return on investment in terms of uh, business growth, job creation, and other benefits for the members of our community uh, throughout the city and throughout the region. For a stadium to make sense, it's also got to make financial sense. Obviously, uh, in our community, we love the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we want the Buffalo Bills to stay here uh, forever. We never want the Buffalo Bills to, to leave the city of Buffalo. But I think cost is a factor that needs to be looked at in the uh, stadium financial agreement, uh, the city is not a part of the financial agreement. It's between the state of New York, the county of Erie, and the ownership of the team, the Pagulas. And so what I am recommending is that we wait uh, for the state study that Governor Hochul has commissioned um, and uh, that will give us a better idea financially of where the best place to put the stadium is. Unfortunately, in, in my view, when the stadium was located in Orchard Park some 50-plus years ago, that was one of the major planning mistakes of uh, this region. Uh, in other parts of the country, you see um, uh, stadiums downtown, you know, where you might have the football stadium, the baseball stadium, the basketball arena, all in close proximity, uh, convention center, all in close proximity in downtowns, which have created business growth uh, and uh, thousands and thousands of jobs uh, for residents in those communities, not just in the city, uh, but also throughout the entire region. And so I think uh, job creation, uh, business attraction, business growth, um, 
has to be one of the things that we really look at if we are going to spend more money for a stadium in downtown Buffalo. Mayor Brown, I have two more questions for you. I apologize for going a little over our time here. Um, But we talked earlier about Democrats that are supporting your opponent. If reelected, do you think there'll be any difficulty working with those Democrats? Uh, None whatsoever. Uh, We have a lot of Democrats that actually live in the city of Buffalo that are supporting me. Uh, So Crystal People Stokes, the majority leader of the New York State Assembly, Barbara Miller-Williams, the controller of the city of Buffalo, uh, South District Council member uh, Christopher Scanlon, Maston District Council member Ulysses Wingo, and North District Council member Joseph Golumbek, all supporting my candidacy. But I think what is most important in this election are the voices and votes of the people of Buffalo. They are the ones that will ultimately decide who the next mayor of the city of Buffalo is. And I am confident that um, when we win this election, God willing, uh, that it will be a national story and it will bring uh, the focus and the eyes of the nation on the city of Buffalo in a way that will be beneficial to the residents of the city, uh, the residents of Erie County, and the residents of the region. Mayor Brown, before I let you go, is there anything you wanted to address that I did not bring up? Uh, Just that I want to leave you with the fact that this election is probably one of the most critical elections in all of our lifetimes. It's about the future of every woman, man, and child, every business in the city of Buffalo. Uh, Experience matters. Experience is critically important. I have the experience uh, and the temperament uh, to get things done, to work with other people uh, in government, uh, in business, in the faith-based community. Uh, And with your votes uh, in this election, Uh, I will win, and we will continue the progress in the city of Buffalo uh, and make Buffalo a city of hope and opportunity for every single resident. So I'm asking every voter for their vote in the Tuesday, November election and for their support. Mayor Byron Brown, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate being on with you this morning. That was Mayor Byron Brown. He is running a write-in campaign against Democrat candidate India Walton. Again, India Walton was invited. She declined our invite this morning. That is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Don't miss our election night coverage. We will have everything covered. We will have results. We will have analysis. Don't miss that. We'll be back here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. with a new morning with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski. B-Maz and Beamer, 9 to 10. David Bellavia, 10 to 2. Tom Bowerly, 2 to 6. And Buffalo's Evening News with Tom Puckett, 6 to 7. Go Bills, go Sabres. We'll see you tomorrow here on WBEN. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.